back, everyone, to the Future Real Estate Podcast. This is your host, Ellis Hammond. I am in Charlotte, North Carolina this week for the Multifamily Investor Nation Con. But on my way in the airport, I had a chance to talk with Brandon Hall, who is the founder of the Real Estate CPA. And if you are ever wondering, why is real estate such a tax-efficient vehicle? How do the wealthy keep more of their money so that they can multiply it faster and obtain large amounts of wealth. Brandon is an incredible guest, and he is—he represents folks who are kind of on each side of the spectrum, those who are just getting started in real estate and those who literally have more than a billion dollars under management. And we just talk exactly about what the vehicles, the strategies, the wealthy are using in order to grow and build their wealth. And so I know you're going to love this episode, so let's get into it. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you looking to add multifamily real estate to your portfolio? Symphony Capital Group, a private real estate equity group based in San Diego, California, makes it easy to get started investing in commercial real estate. Symphony Capital helps investors build wealth by providing passive investment shares to large, cash-flowing, multifamily buildings across the country. Owning private real estate shares in these deals allows investors to own real estate without the hassle, but with all of the benefits, including tax write-offs, cash flow, and the large upside from appreciation typical in commercial real estate. If interested, head to symphonycapitalgroup.com and sign up as an accredited investor. Each deal is funded on a first-come, first-served basis and made available first to those who are signed up as investors. Symphony's focus on finding, funding, and managing real estate investment properties allows you to focus more times on the things you love. Head now to symphonycapitalgroup.com to get started. Brandon, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Alice. I appreciate you having me. Uh, great to finally get connected with you. Glad we're here. Uh, dude, I, guys, I got the the, the tax Jedi. Uh, if you don't know who this guy is, he's all over the internet. He works with a ton of real estate operators, including our firm. And so uh, we lean on him as the expert. And so grateful to have you here, man, to speak to our audience today. Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. I'm excited for the conversation. Dude, well, t- tell, our, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, kind of where your um, what your focus is and what your firm does. Sure. So I'm a CPA. Uh, I'm also a managing partner at my my CPA firm. Uh, we are a national firm. We, we used to call ourselves the real estate CPA. We're currently undergoing a rebrand. So the firm's officially called Hall CPA as of today, uh, but going uh, undergoing a rebrand, which will be exciting here in the next couple of months. But uh, the firm focuses on real estate investors. So we provide tax planning, tax compliance, and accounting CFO services to real estate investors, small and large syndicates, funds. Uh, our largest clients have a billion under management. They're worth you know nine figures uh, net worth. And then our smallest clients are just getting started. They're trying to break free of their corporate jobs, and, and we kind of help. We can pad them all the way up to the to the riches. So it's kind of cool to see all the sides. Um, you know, like what the end game actually looks like. And then also, you know, breaking that down for people that are just just getting into the game. So yeah. kind of neat. But I have so 40 real quick, you gave you gave up the real estate CPA name to. I mean, you don't get me wrong. I mean, your, your last name is pretty cool, dude. But that's a pretty good. Like, or is it because you're trying to get beyond real estate? Like, that's a pretty yeah, good name yeah. you had there, man. Yeah. So we're we're not giving it up. Uh, we're just going to be changing it a little bit. So uh, okay. more more to come on that. More to come on that. All right. All right. I look forward to that. I'm like, wow. That's, yeah. that's a big change. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. And you got a pretty big team. 40, 40 remote people, right? Yeah. Yeah. For 40 or so people. Uh, we're adding a couple people a month at this point. You know, we're, we're 
I think we're one of the fastest growing firms in the nation, CPA firms mm-hmm. in the nation. So it's kind of mm-hmm. cool. But yeah, my firm's totally remote. Uh, my ultimate goal, I, I know that like everybody always hears me on the real estate podcast and and they and we're always talking taxes and cost seg and all this other type of stuff. But my ultimate goal is is really to uh, to create a modern accounting firm and change the accounting industry because if you if you know any accountants, it's a it's a pretty like crappy life as an accountant. So I mean, you just got to work insane hours, and the firms have all been built on time tracking, and it's just not like uh, it's not conducive to like modern living. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to create the blueprint that other accounting firms will look at and say, oh wow you can actually do it a different way. Let's do it that way. Cause it's better. It's also more profitable as we've found. Um, but yeah, so that, that's the ultimate goal is to, to build a modern accounting firm and, and, uh, and take it really, really far. Cause the problem is like in the accounting space, we have all these thought leaders, but they don't actually run firms or they sold their firm at, you know, $900,000 in value, which is a great exit for an accountant, but you're never going to get like, like the big dogs, the hundred million dollar firms paying attention to you. Uh, unless right. you do it yourself. So that that's the goal. So when, so like when you say modern day, like I'm like, I'm thinking of like my accountant sitting on the beach with like a Mai Tai, like doing my numbers. Like, what do you mean? Like the modern accounting? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Well, so, so traditional accounting, let's start there. Traditional accounting is show up in the office, dress up every single day, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 to 6 p.m. tax season. You got to put in a minimum 60 to 65 hours every single week, but you also track your time, right? So, so think about like, like attorneys, they track their time to accountants track the time they bill hourly and all that's great. But what it really does though, is it, it pits you, the accountant against the client. So if I'm a client and I come and and I, I want a service, right? I want the service delivered at the highest possible quality with the lowest possible cost. But if I'm billing, but if the accountant's billing hourly, I'm not incentivized to deliver the service faster. I'm not incentivized to deliver anything efficiently, right? I'm incentivized to drag things out and to add to the clock, right? So it pits us against each other the way that that people bill hourly. So anytime that you call your attorney, you're always like, I don't know what how long this is going to take. Therefore, I don't know what the cost is going to be to me. Therefore, what do you do? You don't call your attorney as often as you probably should. And in reality, you you want to have a team of advisors that you're able to pick the phone up and call immediately and hash things out with without fear of, you know, having some crazy time billing associated with it. Um, but and then on the flip side, like like accounting, when you are billing hourly, what do we incentivize our accountants to do? We, we incentivize them to bill as many hours as they possibly can, which means that nobody's focused on innovation. Nobody's focused on real leadership, uh, like building those skills. Nobody's focused on project management and technology improvements and things like that. So at our firm, we, we track results. We hold everybody accountable to output, not hourly billing. And what, what that allows us to do is it allows us to give clients fixed prices, tax return work, tax planning work, uh, accounting work. And so then we just know, okay, we have a project that's worth $5,000. And we, we're going to finish it in 30 days. And we've got this resource that costs $10,000. So we need to be able to do four projects in 30 days of $5,000. We want to make $20,000 on the $10,000 of cost. And now what are you doing? You're running it like an actual business. I'm not just like tracking time and trying to project out budgets and crap like that. It, 
it's it's tough to explain to uh to the non-accounting space but um when i, well, when I, I get talk, it. have I mean, this it, talk it, it, it allows you to like... also kind of build a subscription subscription model as well right for your clients and in some ways like if if they don't use all of that which most people won't on a 12-month basis you're yeah. you're you're making the, the difference there too yeah and we basically like have a subscription on the on the accounting side uh the way that we kind of structure it but really it's just it's just alignment of interests you know you you want an advisor that you can that you understand the costs it's transparent you want it done quickly you want it done at a high quality level uh when uh, when we have a fixed price what do i want i want it done at a high quality level and i want it done quickly so now we've aligned our interests you're not scared to give us a call so yeah Dude, well, since, since we got you on here, let's get some free tax advice. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to talk about, I mean, you work with a ton of real estate investors. Clearly, I'm a real estate investor. I'm also an entrepreneur as well. And so, you know, I want this episode to really serve those who are creating cash, you know, producers, rather they're a real estate operator, maybe making money within their business, or maybe they're just an entrepreneur or a high income earner, right? And then they're investing in real estate. Let's talk about, let's back up a little bit. And let me just ask you this question. Like, why is real estate such a tax, like, why, why is it labeled as such a tax efficient vehicle? I can give you a great um, example of this. When I, I was in a bigger kind of IMA real estate conference the other day, and the guy's been in this business for a long time, and he just, he pretty much flat out said, and I thought this was really interesting, he said, if real estate wasn't so tax efficient, it would not be a great investment. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Like, here's a guy who's been in this industry for 40 years. He's like, if the government took away the tax the tax of, you know, efficiency of real estate investing. He's like, it, you know, real estate investing would go away. I was like, that's really, it's a strong statement. So help me, like, help me unpack what, what he meant, why, why real estate is such a tax emission vehicle. Yeah. So, so rental real estate, whether it's residential or commercial is extremely tax efficient. And there's two reasons. The first reason is depreciation is a free expense that you get to claim every single year. Uh, it effectively defers taxes. So you do have to recapture your depreciation at some point. You have to pay tax at some point. But like if I if I buy a rental property and my net operating income is $10,000, but I have depreciation of $12,000, then what's really going on is I've got 10K of cold hard cash that's hit in my pocket. But because I have depreciation of 12K, I, I net those two together and I actually have a $2,000 tax loss. So I get to tell the IRS I lost $2,000, even though $10,000 actually hit my pocket. So I don't pay tax on the $10,000 of cash flow today. And that's why real estate is such is so efficient from an operating perspective on an ongoing operational basis. I can create cash flow and not pay tax on it today. So if you imagine doing that 10 times, uh, now I've got $100,000 of cash flow. And I'm not paying tax on that today. Now my effective tax rate is probably super small, uh, or it's going down very drastically. That's what the wealthy folks do. They they build tax efficient income streams that are still good investments, but they're they're tax they're not paying tax on it today, so they can reinvest the capital and continue to snowball everything. Uh, if you don't have to cut the IRS a check, so that's that's the first reason. The second reason is when you sell real estate. Uh, one, you get long-term capital gain rates, right? But you can also 1031 exchange and just not, not, not have any sort of tax implication at all. So I can just, I can 1031, 1031, 1031. We call it the swap to drop strategy. Basically, you can just keep swapping until you die. 
And then when you die, what happens? All of your basis gets stepped up, right? So I could have a million dollar property with a hundred thousand dollar cost basis. And if I sold it, I'd have a $900,000 gain, or I could just die and hand that to my heirs and their basis becomes a million dollars, the fair market value. So then they could sell it for a million dollars and recognize zero dollars of gain. So those are the two main reasons that real estate is so efficient, but there's other things as well. Like, you know, I could buy a property, like the Burr strategy, right? I buy a property, I rehab it, I rent it, and then I refinance it. And I get to refinance it at, at the ARV, the higher value, because I forced appreciation through that rehab. But like part of that, that whole strategy is when I refinance, all I'm doing is taking on debt. And taking on debt is not a, not a taxable transaction. So if I, you know, refinance a property that I'm all in cash on for, you know, it's $200,000 market value and I get a, a, a 30% uh, or 70% LTV, then I'm cashing out $140,000. So the bank's going to literally hand me 140K. That's my loan. They're securing the asset. And I, and I can go and take that 140K and roll it into the next property and do it again. And I don't pay tax on it because again, it's, it's just debt. So those are, those are a few reasons I think that real estate is so tax efficient. And there's a whole lot of other things we can get into all the, you know, well, we probably shouldn't, but uh, beyond the scope well, of this conversation, take, all the let's credits. Let's take a couple of <laughs> scenarios. That's, that's super helpful. That's super helpful. Um, yeah. and, and even that first one you talked about, the depreciation also the income, that's, you know, you don't have to necessarily even be an active operator, right? On that, like if you're a passive investor and stuff, that benefit can still apply against that passive income, right? Oh yeah. It's so funny too, because we'll, we'll have people ask like, I'm investing in this syndication and I'm not going to get any of the tax benefits. And you now you're still getting the tax benefits because you're not paying tax on some portion of that cash flow, right? Depreciation is sheltering some amount of that cash flow. And when you're an LP in syndications, you're just getting a little slice of that rather than the entire thing. But yeah, people people look at real estate sometimes and they go, well, if I if I get a tax loss of, you know, going back to my example of $2,000, but I can't actually use that to offset my W-2 income, then I don't get the tax benefits. Like, well, you also had $10,000 of actual cash hit your pocket that you didn't pay tax on. So I would say that you got tax benefits. Right. So let's, let's, like, let's break down a couple scenarios, man, just from like for the wealthy. I mean, you said you, you're, you have a lot of clients that range and, you know, to the billions down to guys getting started. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I meet with a lot of folks who, you know, are starting to make quarter of a million, half a million dollars from their W-2. And most of them are at a place where they've kind of run out of good places to put capital, right? They're, they're matching their 401ks, you know, their IRAs are already, you know, their Roths are filled, like, and so then they start to say, well, that's when, that's when they call me, right? So, hey, let's, let's look at real estate investing um, or let's start looking at alternative assets, like what what do you see, man? Like in, in guys that are really starting to hit that type of income level, like what are some efficient strategies? Do you recommend them continuing to put money in the 401k and then directing that into real estate? Like tell me what you're seeing, kind of that income bracket, strategies of the wealthy and ways of like keeping protecting capital and being able to multiply that faster. Our wealthiest clients. And I'm not saying that this is what you should do, anybody that's listening. Uh, I'm not a financial advisor, so I will I will <laughs> start with that disclosure, uh, that disclaimer. Um, our wealthiest clients are all in on real estate. I mean, they just they they invest everything in real estate. They roll it all back in. They take some cash flow off the top, but it's just they they create this massive snowball effect. And I mean, the, I think it's hard to kind of conceptualize 
but think about it like this like you buy your first rental and, and you hold that rental for a few years let's say you bought in 2016 well that rental's like tripled in value at this point right now you do a cash out refinance and now you go buy a second rental and now you have two rentals producing cash flow they're both increasing in market value and then uh, a couple more years go by you buy another rental 30 years go by and you're going to have strip malls and commercial buildings and large multifamily properties that you can primarily self-fund. So that's the thing. It's like, like everybody wants the instant gratification of, of wealth building, but in, and you can get that in real estate. But what we, what I see as our, our top clients in terms of wealth, like just extremely rich, <laughs> Um, they've just been at the game for a long time. And that snowball effect, you, you go from like adding $10,000 of net worth a year to adding $10 million of net worth a year at, at the end of that snowball as that snowball gets bigger. So my, my suggestion is to get real estate exposure if you don't have real estate exposure already. And if you do have real estate exposure, Continue looking for deals. Even in today's hot market, deals are still out there. There's going to be more deals as people slash prices uh, and have to liquidate because, you know, especially if there's any sort of recession. So just yeah. be ready to deploy the cash that you've hopefully been saving up. That That's my recommendation. You know, I'm curious, like, and, and how much is of, um, you know, for those clients you have in mind, straight up ownership versus like private placement deals, syndication deals, right? Like, is there a, um, I don't know what's your thought there. I mean, clearly syndication provides a great passive solution for folks, but there are some limitations, right? Because you you can't necessarily just refi out your cash without the operator or the, the owner, the, the general partners doing that. Talk to me kind of where you see that, you know, as you give that advice is that, man, you know, your own deals, like, should there be a hybrid approach to that kind of, what do you see some of your wealthier clients doing? I think it's very similar to like to, to running a business. If you if you are an investor in a large business, then your returns, you know, you, you might you might have good returns, 15, 20% a year, which is good. But if you are the main investor in that large business, you you're gonna have outsized returns. What we see is the major leagues. It's it's people buying the same deals that you see syndicated all the time, the $10 million, $20 million properties, but it's like the operator and three partners that they do every single deal with. And all four of them take down the entire deal by themselves. And so what happens is they all earn outsized returns as a result uh, in terms of like an actual, a real dollar value. And then they go and they reinvest, they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. So I think what happens is, over time, as you build the skill set, especially on the operator side, you end up one for for efficiency reasons. You want the largest whale investors you can get, um, but you end up just doing deal after deal after deal with them. And then from the investor side, there's a lot of there's a lot of operators that you can invest in. And when you find the one that you're very confident in that you can work well together, it's typically more of like a an actual working relationship versus let me just invest and call it a day and move on my life. So you're actually like more involved, a little more active. You're not like, you know, walking the property necessarily, but you find that person and you kind of go all in on them. That's what we've seen. And, and we're talking about like, you know, people with a hundred million dollar net worths. I mean, it's like 
that's the game at that level. We don't see those people really like sprinkling 100K here and 100K there. So, right. Let's talk about the 401k though, man. Like, because I just had this conversation with that guy. He's making, you know, him and his wife half a million bucks. They, you know, their company has like a matching 401k thing, but they're, they're pretty much maxing that out. Like, do you recommend people continue to match out their 401ks, you know, or is this like, is like, I, you know, like, it, because, I, because I've always been an entrepreneur, I'm not going to lie, man. I don't even like, the whole 401k thing goes over my head. I'm like, no, you should. I have no idea. I never even had that option. Like I was a pastor and now I'm an entrepreneur. So like the whole 401k thing yeah. for me is, doesn't make any sense. Can you speak to that? Like help, help me help them in, in kind of what would be some questions that you would begin to ask to help vet? Is that the right place for cash or should I begin to look other places? Uh, it's a really good question. And the way that I answer the question is it, it's, very, it's a very personal decision. Everybody has a different skill set and you have different ways of, of creating capital and utilizing capital. So if you take uh, a chunk of capital and, and you put it into your 401k, it's locked up, right? But at the same time, you know, you get equity exposure, you're, you're exposed to the stock market, potentially bonds, which is a good thing. So now you get access to all these other companies, uh, which you could totally do personally, but now you're doing it after tax. So if you could do it pre-tax, why not do it pre-tax is kind of the way that it works. I think if you talk to financial advisors or people that like really understand how to model the personal financial growth over time, um, it does become a no-brainer to contribute to a 401k. And, uh, and, and that's why I think a lot of people do it. Now, I don't contribute to a 401k. However, I will say that this year, this year is the is uh, I've like actually like enrolled in my own plan, so I offer it to all my employees, but I've never done it. Uh, but this year is the year that I'm, I might actually do it, and the reason is just that I don't know where else to place my capital at this point. Uh, so if I had places to, I've always had like places to put my capital. I've always just invested in myself, in my own skill building, uh, in my own portfolios. But I think that what happens is when you reach certain earning levels you just like you just have enough cash on hand to say okay well i might as well just throw it into the 401k because i i can't do anything i, I don't have any other better alternative at this point um, why would you so not, i think it's your just, own advice earlier go put that into real estate like why would you not just go put that into your own real estate deal or in a syndication deal instead of your 401k well, the thing is I do, it's just a matter of how quickly does the deal flow come and, and then how right. much cap, how much cash are you earning at your day job or your business? And I mean, take somebody that's earning like, like let's say we talk about a physician who's earning a million dollars a year. That person is going to be able to save, you know, I don't know, 450K after taxes, after living expenses. And, so, and they're gonna do that every single year. And so then the question becomes, can they deploy $450,000 every single year? In some years might be yes. Maybe the first two years that they're exploring syndications, the answer is actually no. So that that's when, that's when um, for me personally, it makes sense to invest in a 401k. You just, you, you have too much cash and you might as well get a tax benefit and get some equity exposure um, if you have nowhere else to place it. Are there more efficient vehicles even in the 401k for kind of, you know, solo entrepreneurs or business owners that are, you know, bringing in a ton of cash? Um, it are, you know, are there other strategies out there uh, worth mentioning or worth noting? 
Uh, I mean, there's tons. I mean, there's tons of strategies. It just kind of depends on what each person is trying to achieve, right? Like maybe you need a new vehicle so you can go buy a vehicle for your business and, and you can pay cash, you can finance it. You get a big tax write-off as a result. If you buy within certain parameters, you can use a solo 401k self-directed IRA allows you to put in a lot more cash. So uh, I think like $55,000, $56,000 is the limit this year. So you can, you can, you can certainly stuff more cash and then you can self-direct it, which is nice. If you are solo, uh, you can self-direct Solo meaning you're, you're meaning you don't have any employees, right? Solo. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can still, you can still, I think you could still kind of do it when you have employees. I'm just not exactly sure how that works, but if you're solo, uh, yeah, you could put like, I think 55, 56, 55, five, something like that into your solo 401k or self-directed IRA. And then you can actually go and invest in real estate with that. We have a lot of clients that do that um, and do that very successfully. So you can get the alternative asset exposure while while simultaneously enjoying a tax break on the cash going into the plan. I mean, the last thing I want to chat before we get out here today is real estate professional status. You know, it, and I want to talk mostly like, so if I mean, for example, we're I'm a syndicator or operator, so I qualify as real, real estate professionals. Um, as a you know when i follow my taxes but i want to talk like how, how do other people become real estate professionals like take donald trump for example i mean the guy is a you know how does is how does he get the real estate professional status if he i mean you know like what like my real question is how, do, how can people qualify for the real estate professional status if maybe they're not full-time real estate professionals is that possible like how do they be able to take advantage of this massive benefit of being, you know, being considered a real estate professional. All they have to do is check a little box in their tax software and then they're a real estate professional. And, and that is the scary part. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That, that is the scary part. So, so you have to qualify as a real estate professional. And there's two quantitative tests to do that. And before I talk about that, I do want to say that I see a lot of people, a lot of tax advisors and a lot of uh, landlords make the mistake of thinking that qualifying as a real estate professional is like you're a shoe it's a shoe in strategy it's so easy to do what what you're not being told is that it's the most audited and most litigated piece of the tax code we get a handful of tax court cases on this specific area every single year and it's the same thing people lose every single year because they don't do basic things they're not actually real estate professionals so to qualify as a real estate professional, you must spend 750 hours in a real property trader business, and you must spend more time in that real property trader business or businesses than you do anywhere else. It's that second piece that typically trips people up, more time in real estate than anywhere else. So if you have a full-time W-2 job, you're not going to qualify as a real estate professional. Now, I might, I personally believe that you can work 44,000 hours a year because you got to spend 2,000 at your W 2 job and another 2,000 in real estate, 2001 in real estate, right? My real estate hours have to exceed all of my other hours. So if I'm full time W 2, I've got to work another full time job. Could you do it? Absolutely. Will the IRS buy it? No. Will the tax court buy it? No. So if you're full time, you know, and you're claiming real estate professional status right now, or you're full time W 2 or running the business that's not real estate uh, and you're claiming real estate status, real estate professional status, you, you might want to take another look at your situation because if you get audited or should I, I guess I should say when you get audited, 
you will lose that audit. It will be very expensive for you to try to defend it. So our clients that succeed with real estate professional status, uh, they're working part-time jobs. Uh, maybe they're married and one spouse has a full-time job and the, the qualifying real estate professional spouse is not working. Um, so that's a strategy you can use. Uh, or they just quit their jobs. They go into real estate full-time. You can be like a real estate agent or a property manager or a flipper, builder, developer full-time. And all of those hours will count towards that real estate professional status. So if you're in a real estate business every single day and that's what you do, most likely you're going to qualify as a real estate professional. The next question is just going to be, are you materially participating in your rentals? Because that determines whether or not they're passive or, or non-passive. Um, but the first right. steps to qualify as a real estate pro. And so someone that maybe quit their job and was raising capital now for real estate as a GP, right? They're participating in the general partnership of a syndication. That would be considered a real estate professional status. Could be. Yeah, I say could be because we're not really sure. Um, there's not really clear uh, tax court guidance on something like this. If you're the main GP, then yeah, no, no question. You're the guy uh, or gal. You're the real estate professional. The question that I have and, and some of my partners at the firm have is if, if, if Brandon's the main GP, then and Tom and Taylor and Billy all go raise $5 million each, but they just do the capital raise and then they don't really participate. Maybe they're on the investor calls and stuff, but that's about it. But Brandon's running the deal. Are Tom, Taylor and Billy also real estate professionals? And that's what we're not really sure on. It's a little gray. So Brandon's a real estate professional because he's running the deal. Uh, he's the guy that's on the phone with the property managers all the time. He's visiting the property, doing inspections and just operating, right? Uh, but the capital raisers, do they qualify? Not not really sure. Yeah, but my, my only pushback to that, not that you're the one making, you don't write the rules, right? You just yeah. have to make sure you keep everybody out of the rules. But like- We just advise. My man, my man Steven Swordsman, you know, the CEO of Blackstone, he's not talking to property managers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he's, he. my point is that the better you get at your business, the less I actually do on the property, right? So yeah. you could make the argument that, I am the I am the CEO of the of my company that owns all the real estate, but I do less of the real estate management than anybody on my team, right? So you know what about well? And the problem there, though is that like, that. and I don't know how that company is structured, and that's always the question: is how is the company actually structured, and where is everybody spending their time? Because you could have an investment management firm that is not a real property trader business. So even though you're investing capital into real estate, it may not be a real a real property trader business. You actually have to go to the treasury regs uh, of section 1469 to, uh, or section 469 to figure it out. Um, so it just kind of depends on how the business is structured overall. Interesting. Uh, and then clarify one more thing up for me. So well, we have this conversation, I feel like it changes every time, maybe just because I'm not listening. If I'm a passive <laughs> investor, and I get depreciation through cost segregation, bonus depreciation from my syndication, what can I apply that tax loss to if I am not a real estate professional? So if you're not a real estate professional and, and you don't otherwise, like this is otherwise not a non-passive activity, so this is a passive activity and you get a tax loss, you have a passive loss, that passive loss can offset any other type of passive income. So it can offset your other rental activities. It can offset your other syndications. It can offset like, you know, if I invest $100,000 into a hair salon and I earn $10,000 of profit as a result, 
and I'm not making management decisions. I'm not materially participating. That's a passive $10,000 net income that I've received. My syndication losses can offset that as well. And if I am a real estate professional, that depreciation loss can apply against what? So if I am a real estate professional and if I materially participate in my rental activities, then it's a non-passive activity and any tax loss will be considered non-passive, which means that I can offset my non-passive income. Non-passive income is going to be my W-2 income, my business income, my non-real estate business income, I guess real estate business income as well, uh, capital, uh, sorry, interest, dividends, that type of thing. And have you seen cases where folks who are, you say materially active, materially part participating but if i'm an lp in the deal i'm not necessarily materially part participating yeah. have you seen cases where they're able to use that against their w-2 income they would have to have their own portfolio built out so if you're if you're a limited partner in a syndication you cannot materially participate in that deal um so you would need to build out your own portfolio so i could buy like five rentals locally self-manage them uh meet those two quantitative tests uh materially participate and then I could go and invest as an LP in syndications and I can make a grouping election, which even though the LP investment is technically passive, when I make the grouping election, I effectively group that LP investment in with my five rentals where I already materially participate. I'm already a real estate professional. So the LP investment becomes non-passive as well. So you can, you can in a roundabout way make those non-passive, but you do have to have your own portfolio built out already. Excellent. Yeah, the reason I, I just love having Brandon on here today, I talk about this a lot, but you know, the three pillars of wealth to make it, then you got to keep it before you can even multiply it, right? So just strategies like this are so important because it's not just about how much you make and then how big your returns are and what you invest, it's also about how much you keep. And so, you know, understanding this, having guys like Brandon on your team, um, and learning from guys like him, I can't, you know, I can't recommend enough. So, man, thanks for stopping by today. I appreciate your time. Yeah, I appreciate coming on. It was a good conversation. Yeah. So, the we're, we're I mean, if, if people want to learn about working with you, man, as a real estate investor or with your firm, you know, how do we get in touch with you? Where do we go? Where do we follow? Where are you at, man? Yeah, you can just go to therealestatecpa.com. Uh, and that domain will live forever. So no matter what we do on the rebrand. <laughs> but therealestatecpa.com. You can also check us out. We have a Facebook group called Tax Smart Real Estate Investors. So you can search for that. We've got about 11,000 or so people in it. Um, would really welcome you to come join. And uh, people ask tax questions all the time in there and myself and my team go in and answer them. So. Awesome. You're the man, guys. Go check them out. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a comment, a review, screenshot this, post it on, uh, on LinkedIn or Facebook, wherever you do uh, social media. Tag Brandon, tag myself. Let us know what you thought. Uh, if you got any more tax questions, uh, let us know. Appreciate it, everybody. We'll see you next week.